It's uh, Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Anthony DeMarco will join us in a second. Well, we just got some interesting stuff to talk about regarding Jake Voracek, some things he had to say on a podcast about his time here in Philadelphia. Didn't predict that was coming today. But let me tell you about Bet Parks because it is live. I was just on it, checking it out, looking at some of the uh, some of the options for tonight. $20 free sports bet if you are on the app now or just signing up. So download the Bet Parks app. Check it out. Easy to use. I got it right here. I'm going to show you. There it is. It's opening up again. It's going to verify my location. It is now live. It is great. It is upgraded from the other app. Easier to use. More ways to win. Faster payouts. You're going to love it. Absolutely love it. And right now, like I said, all Bet Parks users. God, I'm freaking winded from running up the stairs. Granted, it's a flight and a half at my house, but still. Uh, either your choice of a $20 casino bonus or a $20 free sports bet. So make sure you download the Bet Parks app now. You do need to be over 21 present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Again, check it out. See, now I'm logged in. Damn it. As I just like fumble my phone. See, now it's logged in. You, I didn't, I'm not logged in, but there's all different things you can do. Sportsbook and game betting. Uh, same game parlays. Exact score, first to score. Props, money lines, it's all there. Uh, check it out. Bet Parks, they present this wonderful podcast. And we present you with the wonderful coming from the great white north. You see, read his work on fourthperiod.com. It is Anthony DeMarco joining us on Stick to Hockey Live. And let's put the, and when you're on, we got to go like this. We go, boom. <laughs> How's it going, man? <laughs> What's going on, man? Not bad. I hope uh, I hope uh, my new setup is working all right. Do you hear me loud and clear? Yeah. Are you standing? Uh, it's it's. I had to do a makeshift studio because I'm in the process of moving. I'm on the men from COVID, so I have a whole bunch of things going on right now. Jeez. But uh, no, yeah, I'm actually, I just have my laptop sitting on a very miniature desk, something that's probably meant for elementary school kids. But uh, <laughs> as long as you can hear me, I'm good to go. Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear, and the people can hear you. That's good. Um, I I just saw this come over. Um, Andy and Rono tweeted it out, and it's and they said it's not an April Fool's thing, so it is real. So I screenshotted the uh, the interview and answers re- from Jake Voracek, and I want to hit you in this cold. I don't know if you saw this. Did you see this? No, no, I haven't seen it yet. So inter- uh, Jake Voracek was on H O K E J. Dot CZ. I guess it's a podcast or something from the Czech Republic. Okay. Um, and the, the first thing was um, was asked of him. It says Columbus uh, longtime assistant Brad Larson took over in Columbus last June after John Tortorella's six year six year tenure. What does it emphasize? And he said Brad Larson is really open, which is probably the best you can have with a coach compared to recent years in Philadelphia. This is a pleasant change. <laughs> That's not it, though. There's more. And it's even meatier. So he was also asking about it, uh, asked about his role playing first power play in Columbus. And he said, I also played first power play in Philadelphia. We probably had the same unit there all the time. It was more about that. If you just don't agree with the coach, it's hard. I didn't go into the conflict at all, but I think I could. The Flyers decided to take a different path and I didn't want to interfere there. I left. Now G left and they are one of the worst teams in the NHL. First of all, they have to look at what mistakes they made but I don't think they imagined the year they they are having. Then he talked about Giroux's departure as well and said that, you know, he and Giroux talked often before the trade deadline. He said leaving after 15 years was hard for him. 
because he always thought he would play his whole career in Philadelphia. And over the last few years, the chemistry outside the locker room has unfortunately been so strange, but it has not been within our competence. He said, we can say that under Ron Hextall, we rebuilt the team, even though it didn't look like it because we made the playoffs or we were so close to the playoffs. And before COVID started, he said, I thought we played really good hockey. Maybe we could go far then, but that's just the way it is. And then this is the last thing. He was asked about the circumstances of his trade and talked about, you know, the relationship that he had with Chuck Fletcher and that it was a good relationship. Uh, And he said there was nothing that could be done with the coach. His ego was so big that unfortunately there, there was not much to deal with. Chuck and I talked about it. I had a great relationship with him. After the season, we sat down and told each other that it would probably be best for both parties to move on. I'm glad it turned out the way it did because I'm really happy. But he said, there, you know, there's a lot, there was a lot going on here. And the huge ego of the coach, and that's not referring to Mike Yo, that's referring to Elaine Vigno. Are you surprised to hear any of this? Well, not really. Maybe you're a bit surprised to hear how open he's talking about it. But I mean, we all knew that Jake Vorchek and Elaine Vigno did not see eye to eye, which I mean, I think it started all the way back in the bubble in the 2020 playoffs. Obviously, last season, the 2021 short season, things kind of imploded everywhere around this team, and it continued to spiral this year. I mean, I can see why Vorchek's a bit upset and now maybe feels the need to kind of be taking liberties at the Flyers because... When he was moved, when Ghost was moved, they were kind of viewed as like the problem childs, right? Yeah. They were ridding the locker room of like the troublesome guys. And then those two guys leave and everything stays the same. Elaine Vigneault gets canned less than three months into the play, into the season rather. So, I mean, I don't see why, that's not what I meant to say. I don't think that Vorchek is wrong with these comments per se i just don't think maybe it's kind of i don't know if classy is the right word but i don't see why he feels the need to take these shots at the flyers on his way out or not even on his way out he's been gone for eight months or so yeah but i guess he kind of feels a bit vindicated that everything's transpired the way it has the season after he got dealt in the off season yeah well the thing is is like you know jake he doesn't give a shit <laughs> that's it that's he it got- He's going to say how he feels. I guess he was just asked about it and decided that at this point, screw the high road. I took, I, maybe I took the high road when asked about it when I was first dealt. Uh, and then he sees how it plays out in Columbus where, as he says, he's, he's very happy there. And even though the team's not great, they're actually, they're, they're better than the flyers are. Um, but you know, you look at it and, you, and sometimes you just go, you know what? I, I don't care. You know, screw it. I, I didn't have a good experience under him. And you know, it's interesting yeah, because the two players you mentioned, you mentioned Voracek, and you mentioned Gostas Bear, both who aren't here, both were guys that tended to play the game uh, kind of according to their own plan with a lack of structure. Yeah, and they kind of beat to their own drum, right? Yeah. And, and I think Gostas Bear in particular... Both are outspoken. Both are outspoken. And I think Gostas Bear, him particularly, was the kind of guy who really made his name in the NHL by just doing whatever he wanted on the fly. Yeah, Being like that high, yeah, that freelance guy, free high flying, freewheeling, all that. And then when it didn't work, it just like amplified all of his glaring weaknesses. Voracek, on the other hand, it's crazy. I said that from let's say the middle of 1920 on until he left, I felt that he was their best forward. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought that that reigned true for the 2020 bubble playoffs as well. Like, and that was a playoffs where Katori didn't have a good year. Giroud didn't have a good showing in the playoffs. JVR was in and out of the press box. I thought Voracek and Hayes were the only two top flyers, the forwards at least, who really showed up in those playoffs. You could even throw Konechny into that mix. That's when his uh, his troubles really started. It didn't so, score I in mean, the bubble. Pardon me? Didn't score in the bubble. Exactly. And he was coming off of that fantastic year in 1920. So to hear that Voracek was having so many of these problems with Hélène Vigneault, while simultaneously being a good player, putting up a good amount of production, like I can't remember off the top of my head what he registered last year with the Flyers, but he seemed to be a productive player through and through right to the end. And one thing I think that the Flyers have desperately missed this season that Voracek brought was his transition game. Once he got into the offensive zone, sometimes his decision-making was questionable. But I thought that he was oftentimes the only guy who could be counted upon to make clean zone entries shift after shift. So obviously there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, maybe even more so than we once thought between the coach and Jake Voracek. But it's just crazy to think that there was so much animosity going on while he was still being a productive player on the ice. Yeah, last year in the in the 53 games that he played in the 56-game season, he had nine goals, 34 assists, 43 points in that time. And you remember, like, there were points in the season where, you know, the Flyers would get down in the game, and basically they would play two lines in the third period. And he was on those two lines, he and Giroux and Couturier, because the the coach, you know, the, the old veteran coaches that have a lot of cachet like Elaine Vigneault, um, they believe in their system so rigidly that, um, you know, there's no – you know, kind of doing your own thing. It That's how you end up in the doghouse. Now, Jake never seemed to end up in the doghouse where it affected his minutes. Um, but like young players, you, you kind of want to, he wanted to beat them into submission and to play the game under his vision. And Ghost is a guy that, you know, like I know all the people want to post his numbers this year and he's got good numbers, offensive numbers. But the fact remains is the guy is a net negative player. He's playing, I was talking to a former NHL guy the other day. Um, I won't even say the position goalie. Um, And he said, said, that's a guy that, first of all, as a goalie, I know when he's on the ice because I'm in trouble because that's how poor he is defensively. And he goes, and I don't care what he's doing in Arizona. There's no pressure. The team stinks. All of the elements of, you know, backup goaltenders that you get, like his numbers are good offensively, but overall the dude is a net negative player. And, you know, people are like, still freaking out that they had to give away an asset for somebody to take them. They were offering them for nothing and nobody wanted him. And yeah. I had some guy on, on Twitter the other day, tell me that because I, I cited the guys never won a board battle and the guy goes, board battles don't matter. I was, <laughs> I almost like I wanted to grab like a hammer and hit myself in the head and go, if board battles don't matter in hockey, then I don't know what I've been thinking my entire life because that is a huge element of the game. No, yeah, Goss's beer, like, to be honest, I was never a huge fan of Ghost because he was so one-dimensional. But when you're a one-trick pony, but that one trick, you're pulling it off every game or twice a game. And it outweighs the other part. Exactly. So as long as that one trick is working, then, you know, you do you and you get it done. But I found that with Ghost that when it wasn't working, everything else became glaring. And I've always been of the mindset that, like, as a top-pairing defenseman, which he was at a certain point, let's say 17, 18, Mm -hmm. or even at times a top-four defenseman, 
you have to be able to be put out there for the penalty kill. And even at the top of his game, he was never able to be trusted on the penalty kill. And even his underlying numbers, his analytics in Arizona are not very good this year. I think they're even inferior to Rosmus Ristolainen, who we who absolutely gets crucified up here in Philly. So look, I mean, Go certainly has a role in this league, but certainly not for four and a half million dollars. Certainly not for what another year after this season. Certainly not for a team that you know is more pressured than the Arizona Coyotes. So look, I understand why people fell in love with Ghost. I understand why people are still upset that they had to attach a second and what was it, a seventh round pick to get rid of his contract. But when you look around the NHL, it wasn't like a bunch of teams were banging down the door for his services. Yeah, they, they could have got him for nothing when he was waived and they could have got him in the offseason for nothing, just in a trade. And I mean, you, it could have been that simple, but you had to attach assets to get rid of him. Uh, and that's telling. And like people say, well, general managers are, are don't make mistakes or they don't know how to deploy him. Come on, stop. I mean, th- the guy was a dramatic player and exciting when he was on that on heaters. Uh, but the fact remains is overall his game is net negative. If you want to put him on a third pairing and play him nine to 12 minutes a night and a power play specialist, I'm fine with that. But I can't pay him four and a half million dollars to do that. Well, that was the huge argument this year when people would be saying like, oh my God, I wish we had kept Ghost over Keith Yandel. Well, Yandel's a veteran minimum. (laughs) Yeah, is Ghost making less than a million dollars a year? Like even if Ghost is making a million and a half a year, 1.75 a year, Ghost every day of the week, he's a much better better player than Keith Yandel. Now at the same time, that's not saying much about Keith Yandel's like level of play, but you also have to take the salary into account. Ghost is making more than, isn't he like $100,000 less than Travis Sanheim this year? Like, you know, think about the role that Travis Sanheim is playing and what Ghost brings out in the desert. It's, you can't detach the salaries from the players. And I think that's what some people at times have trouble doing. Yeah, I totally agree. We wasted enough time on Ghost already, but it leads, <laughs> us, it leads us right to Yandel. And it looks like Keith Yandel at practice today, Friday, uh, was on the fourth pair. As we know, there's only three pairs in hockey. And Mike Yo did not commit that he is not going to be in the lineup tomorrow, but I would basically say it's very likely that his Ironman streak ends, I think, at 983 tomorrow uh, because Ronnie Adder will be in the lineup and Keith Yandel will not. I mean, I don't want to say it's been a long time coming, but it's probably it's been, been a, a long, long time coming. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think that for a while here, you could justify, well, if it's Yandel or it's Sealer or or if it's yeah. Connaughton, is the difference that big to justify ending this guy's streak? I was leaning more on the side, just play the guy. But now that, you know, they're out of contention officially, now it's time to see what you've got with some of these kids. Ronnie Adder comes up. He's a right shot defenseman. I think that this is an opportunity here for them to get a good look at these kids. And you have nothing to lose at this point, And you kind of have to sit Yandel. And it sucks. I get it. I know that he's very well liked in the room. Obviously a very dear friend of Kevin Hayes, who in some ways is kind of like an unofficial, I wouldn't say the unofficial captain right now, but one of the leaders on this team for sure. And I'm sure it's not going to go over swimmingly with some of the guys in there. 
But I do think that, like we just said, it is a long time coming for Yandel to finally sit. Yeah, I mean, he's not feeling well, and maybe that's the, the excuse. Maybe it's a maybe that's just a save the face kind of thing as well. Uh, but uh, it looks like he will be out. The, the deep pairs of practice today uh, were Proveroff in York, Sanheim and Ristolainen, as per usual, and Sealer and Adderd. Yandel and Connaughton were basically the fourth pair. Hart was back at practice. Uh, what do you think of, of Noah Cates? Because he's going to be on that top line with Joel Farabee in the middle, Noah Cates and Cam Atkinson. I mean, this just seems – I mean, I look at, like, the lines today. Farabee in the middle. It's, like, so bizarre. I feel like we're on Neptune or something. What would you think of Noah Cates in his first game against Minnesota? Yeah, I thought he was all right. You know, yeah, nothing. making good plays. Yeah, nothing to jump off the page there. But mm-hmm. I think he made some good plays. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a, you're going to need to see more than one game against Minnesota. And obviously Minnesota as a whole was just clearly the much better team than the Flyers in that game. Like there's a reason why, you know, Minnesota is where they are and where the Flyers are where they are. Fuck, they but look I, good, man, Minnesota. They do look very good. <laughs> like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they could upset a team like Colorado if they get past uh-huh. St. Louis or Nashville in the uh, in the first round there. But especially with Flurry out there now, giving them kind of a safety net behind uh, Cam Talbot. You know, you have a superstar in Kaprizov. They have some heavy players like Greenway and whatnot. No, that's a very good team, a veteran blue line that's been together for a long time. Like that group of that group on the back end they have there with like Dumba and Spurgeon and Brodeen. Yeah. Like they've been around and working as a cohesive unit for quite some time now. And that means a lot in the world of chemistry. I think we're even kind of seeing that in Boston. Like now they've obviously added Lindholm, but you've had Greslick and Carlo and McAvoy all been working together for several years now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that in terms of Noah Cates, I thought he was good. It's just tough to kind of really like shine in a game where you're playing on a team that is so vastly outmatched by the opposition. Yeah. And the other thing, Minnesota, like I feel like they're a bit of a throwback team. Like Billy Guerin to me is building – a team that's not going to be an absolute wagon in the regular season. They're not going to go out and get 115 standings points. But when you get into a playoff series, like they get out, they go out and they get Delarier, who is just a, a pain in the rear end to play against. Right. And it gives them a lot of toughness. I feel like he's building a playoff team. He's not building a regular season team. And I totally agree with you. It's the one thing I would worry about if I was a Colorado avalanche fan is does my team have enough ass to be able to get through a seven game series against a team like that. And that's the problem that we saw Colorado run into last year against the Vegas Golden Knights. And I thought that they were going to address that this year. Now, to be fair, they did with the addition of Josh Manson on defense, Mm -hmm. but in terms of forward acquisitions, they're kind of just running it back. Like they had last year. Like obviously they add Arturi Lekkanen from the Montreal Canes, but he's not exactly going to run someone through the boards. And that's not to say that you have to go get, you know, Ryan Reeves or what have you. But I thought like a guy, like not to say that he was available or anything, but a guy from Montreal, like Josh Anderson, like that's a guy I could have really seen banger. Exactly. Like put him on the second line with Burakovsky and Kadri or something and see what happens down in Colorado. But no, I, I'm not too. Yeah, Anderson. No, right. yeah. Like when he gets trucking and he tucks it in, and then he brings it right to the net. Like he's yeah. a really good player, very underrated player. Now that he's been able to stay healthy for a few seasons, you're mm-hmm. seeing what what kind of player he is. So I mean, personally, I to focus on Minnesota a bit at this juncture with my way too early playoff p- prediction. I think I see them coming out of the Central. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, and I I think. 
despite the fact that Calgary's lost two in a row, I think Calgary's ticketed to go to the cup final. Yeah. I, because I think too. the goaltending's better. I mean, I look at Markstrom in the year. He, I mean, he has been unreal. Yeah. Um, they lose that game to the Kings in the shootout, but, and the Kings grabbed the two points, but l- let's talk about the Kings real quick because, and then we're going to get to a flyers rebuild thing. Cause I saw an article that Sam Carcini wrote, and I just wanted to comment on it and get your thoughts on it. But um, the Kings are a team that didn't tear it down. They're a team that retooled and, you know, the retool wasn't one off season. It was, it takes some, it takes a little bit of time, but it's not a, a tear it down to the studs and then draft and develop in this five year plan, but they're right back in it and they look really good and they're getting some goaltending from Cal Peterson. They got early goaltending from quicks. Unbelievably. You still have Kopitar on that team. You still have Dowdy, even though he's dealt with him some injuries, but um, that's a team, and and that's kind of the team I look at, despite the fact that they won two cups in their prime, but only have a few players left. But that's a team I look at and go, that's how you retool. Yeah, and their benefit was that they held on to several players from a core that had legitimate success. Mm-hmm. And we kind of saw Boston do that in like 2015, 2016 too, when they moved on from guys like Milan Lucic. They moved on from believe Nathan Horton moved on to Columbus. He only played like eight games or something for the Blue Jackets. They moved on from, uh, there was a defenseman too. His name escapes me. But you remember they missed the post in two straight years. Seidenberg. They were able to, yeah, Seidenberg. They were able to kind of yep. reload on the fly. They moved Boychuk uh, off to New York and they were able to draft guys like Pasternak. They were able to draft guys like McAvoy and Carlo, bring, in, bring up a guy like Greslick. Yeah, they but got the, Bacchus out of there. Yeah. So like when you have a pre-existing core that enjoyed legitimate success, like LA did, like Boston did, I think it's easier to do that because when you inject that newer blood into it and that pre-existing core is still there, that new blood is just like, okay, these guys know how to win. Mm -hmm. We're just coming in to kind of reinforce them, help them get back to it. They know how to get there. And that's kind of like what we're seeing with L.A. too. Now, obviously, you know, guys like Richards are gone. Carter's gone. Toffoli's gone. Pearson's gone. All these yeah. guys are gone. But you still have Dustin Brown. You still have Anzi Kopitar. And you still have Drew Doughty and Jonathan Quick. Yep. Those four guys were arguably the faces of those two cup teams in 2012 and 2014. So now that you're bringing guys like Byfield the few young guys they have on the back end, they have Gabe Velarde up front, like, and all these other kind of veterans that they added along the way, like Phil Deno and Victor Arvidsson, you're starting to see this team kind of rekindle that magic they had from seven, eight years ago with those players that were there during that success as well. Yeah. And I, I looked at Deneau and I was like, you know, is that redundant having a Kopitar and a Deneau? but it's freed both players up in some ways to have still have good offensive seasons because the role isn't just to be a shutdown guy religiously. And yeah. look, Deneau's not a dynamic offensive player, but he's a great 200-foot defender. And even mm-hmm. he's had some some really good offensive moments this year because you have Kopitar that can serve in that role at times as well, who's won a Selkie. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting offseason out there, and they've recoiled well. But this notion of... You know, Sam wrote this article on Philly Hockey Now, and and he cited that the Flyers need to do basically a proper rebuild. They need to tear it down. And he mentioned some of the contracts that, uh, you know, that they have. And I I looked at it, and 
when he brought up the contracts and I was reading the piece, I was like, Sam, but you kind of shot your argument in the foot because, you know, if you're going to tear it down, as he suggests, how do you tear it down when you have a player like Kevin Hayes who signed through 25-26 at $7.142 million? How do you tear it down when you have Cam Atkinson to 24-25 at 5.8? How do you tear it down when you have – you know, other players, Sean Couturier's eight-year contract has yet to kick in. Ivan Provorov's contract's got three more years beyond this one. So you just don't – you can't just trade players. It's not the godfather. And either <laughs> your signature is going to be on that page or your brains because people aren't going to do that unless you're selling those pieces off for pennies on the dollar. Not, And you're not going to get much in return because you're trading a huge cap hit to these teams. So tearing it down based on the way that their salary cap structure is right now is, to me, is not an option. I don't think so. It is either. And the thing is, you didn't even mention Ryan Ellis, who yeah. arguably has the toughest. Great point. Track. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I, I don't think tearing it down is an option anymore. And when we say tear down, I assume he meant kind of like the Ottawa Senators, like what mm -hmm. they did in 1718. But I think that kind of model is becoming less and less common in the NHL. It's more like you move out some of the big pieces of like that were faces of your franchise. And then you rebuild kind of on the fly around the pre-existing pieces that you kept. Which like, is kind of like trading Gostas, Voracek and Giroux. Kind of. You're you're on the right track. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we kind of everyone used to likes to use the Rangers model. Right. And that's kind of tough to kind of justify because the Rangers are very fortunate that they're such a desired location. Mm -hmm. Guys like Panarin fell into their lap. Truba, Fox, of course. But then, too, like when they, you know, traded McDonough and they traded Rick Nash and all those guys, they still hung on to Zabanajad. They hung on to Kreider. You know, up until this last offseason, they held on to Buchnevich. So for me, I think the Flyers can't do a full tear down to the studs like the Sanders did because of what they did last offseason. Before last offseason, I could say, okay, you have one kind of egregious long-term deal with Kevin Hayes. Aside from that, you can make these pieces work. But you bring in Cam Atkinson, you bring in Ryan Ellis, you extend Sean Couture, that ship has sailed. Yeah. What I do think that you could explore here is something of like accepting like a year or two taking a step back and not like this year where you're actively trying to take a step forward and it blows up in your face for whatever reason, whether it be injuries, some guys not performing well, the coach not working out, what, what have you. I think that if you invest a year or two into saying like, we're going to invest a bit into the future and whatever comes of it, then so be it. I think that's something the Flyers may look to explore, kind of like what the Bruins did in 15-16. Yeah. But a in reboot. terms of a reboot, yeah. But something that they're actively trying to do. Like last offseason, the Flyers weren't trying to reboot. They were trying to get back into the playoffs. You know, Mike Yo said it several times to me in an interview I did before the seasons. We have to make the playoffs. We have to make the playoffs. And obviously, that's not the case. They've missed the playoff three of the last four seasons. So for me, I think that maybe embracing something that could result in them missing the playoffs for another year or two for the betterment of the future. But in terms of completely tearing it down to the studs, 
kind of in, uh, akin to the Ottawa Senators, you can after the players you brought in last summer. Yeah, if you were going to not make the long-term commitment to Couturier. I mean, the, the Atkinson thing, I go, okay, they have one more year of term, but they have cap, less cap allocation because or Voracek was making more money. And he filled a need, and it was a player-for-player player deal. So that one, I go, okay, I could that that to me isn't egregious. You know, the Ryan Ellis thing is, I I still make the trade today because yeah. of what I gave up. But the problem is, is you know, what is he going to be next year? I mean, this is I got asked this the other day on Flyers Daily when I was taking Twitter questions. Like, I mean, I can't give you any kind of percentage on the chances that he plays 80% of the games next year. I have no clue. Nobody has any clue when it comes to Ryan Ellis. It's a very bizarre, it's a very bizarre situation. I mean, I I haven't heard this, but I mean, could the guy end up retiring? I mean, the the cap recapture would go to not to the flyers, but (laughs) yeah, the Nashville predators who kind of dodged that bullet on a couple of occasions, including with Shea Weber right now. (laughs) Would that be, the better like the best case scenario for the flyers in your opinion i I mean probably and 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 look unless i know that he's going to play 80 percent of the games for the next two or three years but i just don't i have no clue on that if he retired then i get all the cap space yeah i made a trade i gave up nolan patrick and i gave up phil myers who just cleared waivers and you know and patrick barely plays so i don't worry about it from that standpoint anymore that no it was worth the risk but if the guy retired and, and look, I don't think he's going to, but I mean, that would just all of a sudden open up 5.8. Yeah. Well, he's owed what, like 30 plus million dollars on his yeah. contract. Why would he willingly walk away from all that money? And yeah. I, I just think that with Ryan well, Ellis, if it's an injury, is it, does he get some kind of insurance on or something on a lot of that? Well, th- this is the thing is that like, if he's retiring because of an injury, he would just go on LTIR kind of like yeah. what's happening with Shea Weber. But if you were your failure physical, exactly. Or Chris Pronger or what have you. Mm -hmm. But if it's just retiring and walking away from the contract, kind of like what Vinny LeCavalier did when they trade him to the Los Angeles Kings in 2016, he would just leave all the money on the table and the remainder of the contract would be void. So I just don't see Ryan Ellis. He's what, 30 years old. I don't see the guy. I think really. Yeah, oh, I mean yeah. he he's not young. I mean, I'm looking right now. Ellis is geez, why can't I find his on this freaking thing? I, I think he's 33 years age of age already. Well, either way, I think he has 31. Five, sorry, sorry. 31. So I yeah, think he has just five years left on his contract at 6.25, if I'm not mistaken. 6.25, yep. Yeah, through so 2627. Through 2627. So that is okay. My math isn't spectacular here, but that's over $31 million left owed to him, at least in terms of the AAV. I can't speak to the real dollars, but I mean, you know, that's a lot of money that's left owed to this guy. And if he retires, it's not like he can go to another team. Obviously, there was, you know, Anthony Sanfilippo, I believe, on your show was talking about, you know, is he really committed to this team to come back and play for them? Yeah, where's his head? Well, that's it. You just haven't really heard of him. Yeah. Like he played that game in Dallas back in mid-November. And since then, like you just haven't heard of him at all. And he was a guy that I was thinking that in the event that Giroux would be traded, which he ultimately was, could be maybe the next captain of this team. Yeah. Obviously that ship has sailed, but I mean, 
he was supposed to be a guy to really come in and write the ship for this squad. And, you know, him only playing four games really sent everything into a tailspin. Yeah, he ain't walking away from that money. Would you walk away from that money? I don't care how much you've made. (laughs) 30 million is 30 million, you know? And there's nothing he can do in his post-hockey playing career that's going to supplement that kind of money and mitigate damage. No way. That's it. So unless he's, you know, forced into retirement via injury, I just, I can't see him walking away from that. Maybe it gets to that point, but. Yeah. And and look, you can't trade him back to Nashville because maybe he didn't want to leave. Dave Poyle's not going to take him back. That doesn't make any sense. But why would you? Yeah. At this point. Yeah. It'd be be silly. Um, And we all wondered, right? Why did they give him up for spare parts? And now you're kind of seeing why. Yeah. The fragility of his, of his availability. Um, Yeah. I mean, they ended up, you know, extending Ekholm and, you know, and yeah, obviously I have Yossi. I mean, that team's been a factory when it comes to D. Yeah. It's just been unreal what they've had down there. Um, And last thing, the one thing, that I look at the common denominator. I don't know how much Chuck Fletcher can accomplish this off season. And I don't know that this is the off season to try and accomplish all of it, because I don't know that the UFA class is not what it's going to be the following year. Um, the draft is okay. It's good, but it's not the 23 draft. Um, so there's all those elements to it. And the 24 pick in the first round that they got in the Giroux deal I think increases in value next off season, as opposed to this off season, because it's closer. But the one thing that teams that either have done a rebuild or a retool, they all have in common. The teams that where it hasn't worked, they share this one common denominator and the teams where it has worked all share this common denominator and it's goaltending. It's the one thing. Look at Buffalo. They, I mean, they've had some really good picks go through there. I think some of their picks, obviously Eichel didn't work out in the long run because of everything that went down. But I look at Deline, I look at some of the players that they've gotten there, and I go, okay, they've gotten some good players, but they've had no goaltending. I look at New Jersey, same thing. You got Hughes. You got Heischer's a good player, not, not a star, but you have some really good pieces there. But they haven't had the goaltending. Just look at the teams that try to rebuild or retool and the ones that fail at it don't have goaltending. The ones that succeed all have goaltending. Yeah, for sure. We were just talking about LA and uh, Boston earlier. They all had goaltending. Rangers. Rangers, they got they went from Lundquist to Shesterkin. They've just been so oh shit. They go from Richter yeah. to Lundquist <laughs> to Shesterkin. I mean, that's ridiculous. Exactly. And like even this isn't like a retooling situation, but look at the Calgary Flames. They had a revolving door of just mediocre goaltending since Kippersoff. Remember, they had like Jonas Hiller to Brian Elliott to Mike Smith to yeah. Cam Talbot. And then they finally invest the money into Jacob Markstrom. And what do you know? They are a cup contender. Yep. But no, yeah, I think that's the one position that the Flyers are completely set at for the foreseeable future. Obviously, Carter Hart, I think, has been fine this season. I think they have some good guys in the system. You know, uh, I think... Um, Mostly people that I've spoken to who track the Phantoms closely say that uh, Sandstrom's been pretty good. Urson has battled injuries, so it's kind of tough to get a read on him. Yeah, Pardon me? Ustamenko's been banged up a bit at times as well. 
Exactly, which is one of the reasons why they didn't ultimately pull the trigger on a Martin Jones trade at the deadline. Yeah. Uh, Fedotov, I, I believe he's coming over next year, but he's had a good year over in Russia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the K, he's been outstanding in the KHL playoffs after the Olympics as well. The thing is with, with Fedotov, though, look, we the thing we don't know, I was talking to Chuck Fletcher about this. I don't even think it was you know, on the podcast, but uh, I think we were just talking about it. They just don't know if they can bring guys over from – Russia or a Belarus. He's yeah. a Belarusian. Um, or no, Kolosov's a Belarusian. But they, they don't know if they're going to get a work visa to be able to come over and play. <laughs> yeah, so like all, all that stuff aside, like I think that they're pretty set with goaltending the for, for the foreseeable future. I agree. And I still think that they have some good t- pieces up front. They have some good pieces on the back end. I really think that one star forward up front could change the fortunes for this team, but it can't just, pardon me, slots it better. It just slots everyone better. And it can't just be giving $9 million to Johnny Gujo. It can't be that it needs to be a guy who's no older than 25. Obviously, ideally that's through the draft, but even if they get the second overall pick this year, the first is Shane Wright or Logan Cooley going to be that guy. I'm not sure. No, good players, I'm not, sure. not, not stars. Exactly. So gotta get Marner. Maybe, gotta get Marner. Marner would change a lot for this team. Yeah. Or a Larkin or a Shifley yep. or Shifley to a lesser extent because he's on the older side of things. Yeah, he's 20, but, right? Yeah. So he's the same age as Katori. Yeah. They went yeah. seven, eight. Yeah. So I mean, you need a you need a big time dynamic offensive player like that to change everything. Yeah. But if you bring me- in a to me, it's Go Larkin ahead. or Marner. Yeah. I'm in the Marner-Larkin order, but Marner makes more than Larkin does now. Yeah, so you would have some cost certainty with Larkin. I think he's at 6.1. Yeah. and uh, But I think Marner's the better player. Marner's arguably the best winger in the NHL. Yeah. I you know, obviously, Panarin and Kaprizov would have things to say about that. Ovechkin as well, but... Marner's a special player, plays at both ends of the ice, good on the penalty kill, like phenomenal passer. He's just a great talent. Yeah. And and Toronto's gonna need to do something different. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be There's interesting no to see what they do in the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt. And thanks for doing this, man. Uh, read and stuff at the fourthperiod.com. Always great stuff up there. I'm reading you every time you post. And uh what's the Twitter handle? At Ant DeMarco. At a DeMarco 25, a DeMarco 25. So uh, (laughs) thanks for doing this, man. Good luck with the move. Glad you're feeling better from the COVID and everything else. Thanks a lot, man. Take it easy. There he is. Anthony DeMarco on the newest edition of stick to hockey. Let's put this one there. There we go. And uh, it's time to get out your bet parks app or a piece of paper. So you can put this stuff on your bet parks app in just a little bit because we got the man. He went 4-1 on the Stick to Hockey live show last week. It is time for a brand new edition brought to you by Bet Parks of Tones Take. And there he is. What's going on, Tone? What's up, Jason? How you doing? Did you enjoy your birthday? Good. Thank you. I'm old, dude. I'm old now, man. I'm 50. What was the over <laughs> under? <laughs> Did I nail the over? <laughs> oh man, it's nuts. Like I can't believe that I'm 50. 
it feels weird. Like I don't feel any different or anything like that, but it just right. feels weird that I'm 50. Feel different than 40. It doesn't feel any different, no. but like mentally it's <laughs> different, I guess. Like yeah. people are like, Oh, you're in your fifties. Now you're going to be tired all the time. I'm like, I've been tired for 20 years. You're not in your fifties yet. I guess you got one more year to get into the fifties, I guess. Right. You know, I, yeah, technically, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess that, but technically I'm also in my 51st year of life because yeah, you go from, from zero, you're not even one until you're 365 days old. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony, you had a good week last week, four and one last week, uh, riding that heater plus 4.85 units. And the last two weeks on the stick to hockey podcast, let's double it up and go to eight and two, 8.35 units. You're feeling it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we can keep that going, you know? All right, so here, you know, people, I want people, I told them, get out the Bet Parks app, open it up, or just write these down and then open up the app in a little bit, the brand new Bet Parks app, which we love, because here's the first play in Tone's Takes for this Friday. How about play number one? You like the Rangers giving up a goal, uh, but shaving down some of the juice here. Yeah, I'm going to go minus one. Uh, it's minus 109. I think the Rangers are going to win this game. Islanders just beat them in New York uh, on St. Patty's Day. Uh, Islanders are in their fifth game in seven nights. Uh, they have goaltending injuries. Corey Schneider might actually get the start tonight back in the NHL. Uh, so wow. to go with either him or, or Varlamov because Sorokin's hurt. Uh, Shesterkin is confirmed at home for the Rangers. He's 17-3 at home and two at home. Uh, 1.86 goals against, uh, 0.943 save percentage. So dude's pretty much unbeatable at home. Uh, these games might start to get a little tighter as we go here. So instead of doing a regulation bet, just going to, you know, play it safe a little bit with the minus one, which I like to do. Yeah, that not, 943 save percentage at home. That's not good. That is gaudy. Yep. <laughs> that is yep. impressive. Yep. Uh, play number two. Let's go to uh, into. Let's go to the Motor City. Ottawa is visiting De- Detroit in this game, but do you like a total in this one? Yeah, I like the over six. Uh, you see a lot with these teams that are not in playoff contention. When they get together, they just play loose hockey. There's been four games this week where it's a similar situation. Teams are not close to the playoffs. All four of those games have gone over. Um, Ottawa allows 3.44 goals on the road. Detroit allows 3.54 goals at home. The last three NHL teams to have scored 10 goals in a game all have been against the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> Even that 11 spot, right? Yeah. Yep. Holy cow. I don't know yep. that ever happened, so. right? That's, a, that's amazing. Like, you just want to see your team down the stretch kind of play decent and be able to play some tight games. And giving up goals at that rate is just alarming. Um, yep. Let's go to a, a player prop here uh, for play number three. You like Vrana at over two and a half shots on goal. Yeah, it's a plus 115. Uh, he's on Detroit, for those who don't know. Uh, he's only played 11 games this year due to injury. Uh, he's, hit this he's been good, though, since he games. came back. He has, yeah. I think he scored goals in four of his last five. Yeah. Uh, he, he's hit this in seven of the 11 games and four of the last five at home. Um, Ottawa gives up a lot of shots on the road, 33.2. Uh, Verona plays center on that top, top power play unit, and Ottawa takes a bunch of penalties on the road, six most, six most penalties on the road, so... Uh, I think he's going to get a decent amount of looks here. You know, as we talked about before, guys are you score goals, they're going to keep shooting. So, uh, got to get a plus money play in here. So, I'm going to go with this one tonight. Yeah, I, I like the thinking here too because I think part of it, Tone, is that since Verona hasn't played a lot this year, there's not a lot of data mm-hmm. from Vegas to set a proper line. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. Yep. Good that's point. What you, that's what you find. You find where Vegas 
is not necessarily the most educated on a certain play. You find the flawed line and you slam it with the yep. bent parks just- at. Definitely find it in the NHL. There's oh. a lot they don't pay attention to. Especially I with these totally props. agree. Especially these props out the past couple of years. Yep. All right. So Tone is eight and two in his last two stick to hockey appearances. He's looking to build on it with three plays. He's got the Rangers minus one at minus one oh nine. Uh, with Shesterkin at home, uh, playing great. He's got Ottawa and Detroit playing the over six at minus 120. And the third play is Jacob Rana, over two and a half shots on goal, getting plus money here as well at plus 115. Great stuff, Tone. We'll talk to you next week, man. Cash him. All right. Thanks, Jason. Have a good weekend. All right. There he is. Tone's takes on another edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. All right. Let me give you the three again. Okay. So get out your pen. I mean, Tone is riding it right now. Plus 8.35 units on his last two weeks of stick to hockey plays. Eight to- So he's got 10 total plays in there. This week, we've got three. We've got the Rangers minus one at minus 109. Ottawa and Detroit, the over six at minus 120. And Verona, over two and a half shots on goal at plus 115. Grab the Bet Parks app. I'll open it again. Here we go. It's uh, probably still in my, there it is right there. Boom. That, oh, I got to log in. So I'm going to log in with my face rec, my face ID, and it's going to check my location, and then you get your plays in. Check it out. This app is fantastic. It is sensational. See, at the bottom here, you can go my account, then go sports, boom, and then you can pick what you want to play. All the different ways to bet, sports book. I always click on this little thing, this little icon here, the round one, which says is a puck, and it's got all the games there for you. Get this off here. All the games, all the different ways to bet. So you click on a game. Let's go to the Montreal Canadiens-Tampa Bay Lightning game, rematch of the Cup final. Here's all the different – there's all kinds of different ways to bet. Events, open bet, everything, you name it. It's all there on the Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live app. I've changed the name of it too. Uh, No, but it is the Bet Parks app. So pick it up, check it out. Uh, If you're using the old app, the new app is fantastic. So make sure you download it. And it's a casino and sports book. It is now live, and you can take it from me. Uh, the Bet Parks app is awesome. It's everything you've wanted in a mobile casino and a sports betting app, and it's right in your pocket. And it's easy to sign up if you don't have an account yet. Fun to use, easy to use, and faster to win than ever before. So again, check it out. It's the Bet Parks app, and all Bet Parks users you get the choice of either a twenty dollars casino bonus right now or a $20 free sports bet. So you can go on now, just grab the app, open up an account, and you'll get that free $20 sports bet for tonight. Use it on one of those three games that we just mentioned, one of those plays that, uh, Tone, you just click a little box and boom, that'll uh, get you your free $20 free sports bet. That'll be a way to dip your toe in and get uh, get it familiarized with uh, the Bet Parks app. So check it out. Uh, you got to be in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Download the app today. Do need to be over 21, gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, what do we have this weekend for the Flyers? We have Saturday back home after the five-game road trip against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Saturday night, we'll see that 50-goal score, Austin Matthews, who netted his 50th into an empty net last night. Um, and then we have the Rangers on Sunday. I may have to text Valaket and see if uh, Valley can jump on. Steve Valaket does the games for MSG, former Ranger goaltender, and the proprietor of uh, ClearSight Analytics. And then uh, the Flyers will have a home-and-home next week with Columbus on Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesday's in Philadelphia, Thursday in Columbus. 
It's the final month of the NHL regular season. Flyers have 15 games left all in the month of April, and they'll wrap it up April 29th against the Ottawa Senators. So uh, a lot of hockey on the way, a lot of things to see. We'll see the debut, I'm assuming, of Ronnie Adderd. Uh, we saw it of Noah Cates. He'll be back in the lineup as well, and quite possibly Keith Yandel out of the lineup for the Flyers tomorrow when they return home to take on the Leafs. So everybody, thanks for uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you are uh, one of our podcast on-demand listeners, make sure you subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. Uh, if you're a streamer, we appreciate that as well. And uh, if you are interested in doing a podcast, check out my friends at Wildfire Podcasting. Hit up Jim Grasso. Your first episode will be free of charge. Just Google Wildfire Podcasting. And get all the info there. They do a great job, and we appreciate everything they do for this podcast and others that I'm involved in as well. And, of course, thanks to everybody at Bet Parks. Make sure you download the app and get in on all the action and uh, the free bets and plus uh, Tone's takes as well. So we'll talk to you next week on a brand-new edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great weekend, everybody. Yeah.